Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I can't really remember when I last had any hope. And I certainly can't remember when anyone else did either. Because really, since women stopped being able to have babies, what's left to hope for? Need your help. Not for me, a girl. Need to get her to the coast, past security checkpoints. The Homeland Security Bill is ratified. After eight years, British borders will remain closed. The deportation of illegal immigrants will continue. If that number is 2.1 per couple, then we say that the population is replacing itself. It's at replacement level when it's 2.1. When it falls below 2.1, then the population is not replacing itself. Today, I feel like pleasing. I wish you so in Western countries, in our best sample of men, men most representative of the general population, there was a decline of 59% in total sperm count in the close to 40 years of our analysis. Now you know what's at stake. Hello and welcome to Science-ish. I'm Rick Edwards. I'm joined as ever by Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. The show's format has been tightened somewhat, and I think for the better. Instead of doing three questions, we now do one question with one scientist, and we do it very pithily. <laughs> Maybe not very pithily, more pithily than we used it's to It's still do. the two of us yabbering on, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the yabbering stays. This week, Brooksy, you've chosen a film for us. Yes, so I am going to basically raise your dystopian thriller level. You did Never Let Me Go. I'm going Children of Men. That's not a raising. That is a raising. The not, stakes, how's that a raising? The stakes are higher now. The entire human race is going extinct. So this is uh, the book that P.D. James wrote, published in 1992, which I have read. You probably haven't, I'm guessing. No, I haven't, because P.D. James is the sort of thing that my mum reads. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> True, though. <laughs> that is quite harsh. Um, um, so this was made into a film by Alfonso Cuaron. Mm-hmm. 2006. Is that your? Have you seen uh, that? I think I recognise the accent. Was that your Jeremy <laughs> Renner from Arrival? <laughs> I think that was my Russian. Isn't he Russian? 
the accent special. That was a good episode, wasn't it? Uh, it was an episode. Yeah. Anyway, in this scenario, uh, what we've got is women no longer able to bear children. Can't conceive. In- Why are you <laughs> speaking like this? <laughs> was that dramatic? I have no idea. I, d- I, don't, know what, I don't know where that came from. No, women, keep doing it. Women, women this are This will be infertile. an hour and a half long. Yeah, yeah. So women women are infertile. Women are infertile. Keep talking. Uh, we have a dwindling human race. The last child was born 18 years ago and dies at the beginning of the film. And uh, we're in a position where Clive Owen has discovered the only other pregnant woman in the world, luckily, because that's what the film is based on, obviously. Mm. Great story. Oh, I'll give you another great story. Was Clive Owen at my wedding? Yeah, he was. Carry on. <laughs> oh, how was he? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. So the film uh, looks at this kind of dystopian scenario. Yeah, everyone's turned on everyone else. There's lots of refugees. There's lots of people who are being deported because they're immigrants. Every kind of nation has turned on other nations. It's a completely horrible, horrible depiction of quite like what the world looks like right now hmm. and um and it's really prescient in that respect but that's all a bit highbrow for us so we're going to ask the question could humans really become infertile we are going to talk about fertility uh, which is a complex issue and obviously we're going to make lots of jokes about things that we probably shouldn't i'm not going to i'm not going to joke about fertility well no because you haven't that's proved yours yet have you exactly right <laughs> <laughs> you're all right you're fine <laughs> i'm not going to tempt i've mate. done my bit So we're going to look at male fertility for the most part because actually it's a really, really interesting hot topic at the moment in science. So what we were asking was, has sperm count and concentration declined over historic period, which we took to be 40 years, and then to examine things that might affect that rate of decline? This is Professor Shanna Swan from the Econ School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. We did an extensive review of the literature. We conducted what's called a systematic review and then meta-analysis for the entire world's literature, although focusing on English language papers only. And what we found was that there had been indeed a very significant decline for sperm count, particularly in what we called Western countries, and that is North America and Europe and Australia, as compared to the other countries for which we had much less information that we referred to as non-Western countries. So in Western countries, in our best sample of men, men most representative of the general population, there was a decline of 59% in total sperm count in the close to 40 years of our analysis. And that was highly what we call statistically significant, unlikely to be due to chance. In the non-Western countries, there was also a decline, but it didn't 
reached the level of statistical significance. So we say there was no significant decline detectable in non-Western countries, and largely due, we feel, to the small number of samples in the non-Western countries. The researchers detected the dramatic plunge in total sperm count by looking at 38 years' worth of data from 185 studies. Those studies had analyzed sperm samples collected between 1973 and 2011 from nearly 43,000 men around the world. The result? A nearly 60% decline in total sperm count of men studied in North America, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. The study did not look at causes, but its lead researcher suspects environmental contaminants such as pesticides are partly to blame. We know that there are factors that can affect man's sperm occurring at various points in his life. And clearly, as an adult man, before he comes in to give the sample, there are many things that can affect his sperm count, like how stressed he is, if he's overweight or obese, his diet, possibly chemicals that he's exposed to. But we feel more importantly, and perhaps surprisingly, what happened when he was in his mother's womb is also important for his sperm count. And that's because the cells that will make the sperm as an adult are laid down very early in pregnancy and are very sensitive to what the mother is exposed to. So her stress, her smoking, her chemical exposures and so on can affect the man probably more, our data show, than the man's own exposure. I've got a feeling I'm not going to enjoy this episode very much. (laughs) This is quite bleak, isn't it? I am out dystopianing you. Yeah, you are, it turns out. So what Professor Shanner is saying is that the development of the embryo can affect the sperm count when that embryo has grown up into a gentleman. Yes. So is this epigenetics then? Well, it's probably epigenetic in that we know that all the sperm cells basically and the uh, Sertoli cells which kind of control the production of sperm are kind of laid down, dealt with, developed in sort of minus six months from birth and then in the six months after birth Uh, So you've got that sort of period of a year where these cells are really kind of having to act and do their thing. And it seems that actually the action of the pregnant woman, her environmental situation, whether she's smoking, whether she's stressed, somehow affects all this. And it's laid down to the point where it will affect down the generations now. So there's some kind of marker going on to those sperm or those Atoli cells. And we think it's probably epigenetic in that this isn't just, you know, that the genes aren't turning on and off. You know, this is some kind of environmental action on the genetics. So we don't know. But it's a really significant thing because we're basically losing 1.6% of the sperm count every year. And it's still going down. This is not a kind of artifact of a few years ago or whatever. It is in free fall, effectively. So this decline at the 59% over 40 years that she mentioned, it's still going down. It's still going on. Yeah, it's absolutely there. Um, something like seven and a half thousand studies they looked at. And until this point, 
people were a bit sort of sketchy about these kinds of studies. They're saying, well, maybe there's something we're missing him. This one came out and it kind of covered all the bases and everyone said, oh, Because shit. it's such a comprehensive yeah. study of studies, yeah, effectively. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it says it's definitely happening in the Western world. What it also says is we just don't have enough data on the non-Western world, so the developing countries, to be able to say whether it's happening or not. But is the suggestion that perhaps if it isn't happening as much in the non-Western world, that. So what we think is that because it seems to be something to do with the Western lifestyle, whether it's exposure to chemicals, whether it's smoking, whether it's something in food, stress, you know, stress perhaps, but something is happening as males grow in the embryo. Something's happening to their sperm production and it's falling off a cliff. Is there anything else that we can infer from low sperm count or reduced sperm count? Well, it's kind of a crude measure in some ways. You know, so we can measure the sperm motility, you know, how fast it moves around, whether it's able to do its job effectively. Uh, we've seen a 52% drop in sperm concentration as well. But basically, the, the kind of sperm count, you know, the number per milliliter. What do you mean by sperm concentration? How, how hard they concentrate? Yeah, yeah, how long that you can I'm keep your attention the for. <laughs> So it's not just that we're worried about procreation in the future as well. If you've got a low sperm count, then you're basically more likely to die earlier. So lots of oh, brilliant. Lots of studies have shown it's effectively a measure of how good these cells are at proliferating. Yeah. yeah. And they're the kind of cells that keep proliferating throughout your life. And so they're a measure of the kind of overall health of your body. And specifically in heart health and things like that, it turns out that there's a big correlation between your sperm count and your ability to keep your heart going and... Uh, yeah, I'm afraid so it not could gonna, be early. Not going to have any kids, and I'm going to die early. <laughs> Possibly, but we don't know. That you, we don't know, Rick, yet that you have this issue. No, no. But the main thing is, this doesn't sound good for fertility, does it? No, it doesn't. This is an interesting topic. Birth rate. Is it time to make America mate again? Last year, the U.S. population grew by only 0.7%. When it comes for infertility, there are many reasons. And really, infertility should be defined as the probability of succeeding if you want to conceive a child. Now we're going to have a little discussion about why millennials do not want to procreate. I mean, societally speaking, I think that there is definitely an understanding that women are having children much older than... Many couples choose um, not to is, conceive uh, a child. Many couples delay childbearing until the woman is older and maybe at lower fertility, definitely at lower fertility, so that it takes longer for her to get pregnant. So there are many factors that go into the fertility rate. According to the Centers for Disease Control, the fertility rate in the United States reached its lowest level in history in 2016. Births among U.S. teens fell by 9%, while the overall birth rate fell by 1%. And there were just 62 births per 1,000 women ages 15 to 44. There are many ways to measure fertility. One of those is demographic fertility, which is the number of children that a couple has. If that number is 2.1 per couple, then we say that the population is replacing itself. It's at replacement level when it's 2.1. When it falls below 2.1, then the population is not replacing itself. So what's been happening, and the World Bank has shown this, and national surveys have shown this, that in many countries now, in fact, all Western countries practically, the level is below replacement. Couples are not replacing themselves. 
this rate has been going down overall since about 1960. As far as surveys like ours for infertility or infertility, there haven't been any. There haven't been any major meta-analyses or systematic analyses of the magnitude that we've conducted for fertility. It's a more complicated question. So um, women throughout their 20s actually decrease their birth rates. Women in their 30s and 40s increase their birth rates. Those That's women, a change. Yeah. yeah, it is. And I think it reflects, you know, honestly, um, what happens when women have access to more control over when they have children and how many children they have. And it seems that you know, women are choosing to have, have babies a bit later and, and to have fewer children. The decision to have a child and the number of children you have is a social construct, if you will, and it is changing. It has been changing. The age at first birth has been um, getting older and older. The number of children that couples want to have has been getting smaller, and all of these contribute to the decline in per-couple fertility. However, there's also some evidence, say it's from the U.S. National Survey for Family Growth, that even among younger women who are trying to get pregnant, there is less success. So part of it is definitely the social construct of desirable number of children and age at first birth, but that's not the whole story. So this whole infertility business is um, fairly complicated then, isn't it? Yeah. There's it's a lot qu- of factors. It's quite hard to measure it and be sort of really objective about it. So you can have various different things. You can have fecundity, which is your physiological ability, capacity to, to carry a child, or fertility, which is which is basically a measure of the number of live births per woman, or gravidity, which is the number of pregnancies. But they tend to go for this total fertility rate as a way of kind of seeing what's happening across populations. And it's dropping massively. So in 1970, the total fertility rate was 4.45 children per woman, and now it's down to 2.5. In the the Western world? That's worldwide. uh, Worldwide. worldwide. And in 2014, it was 2.5. And basically, as she said, 2.1 is replacement. So we're heading towards the point where we're going to have a dwindling human population because we're just not having enough children. So how does that fit in with people who worry about overpopulation then? <laughs> we're shrinking, obviously. You know, population has grown massively and, and it will start to dwindle again. And there are people who say there are good environmental reasons not to have children. I mean, you know, we'll kind of save the planet by not reproducing ourselves. There's even something called the voluntary human extinction movement. I'm young, born into a female body, and have been living in a committed relationship for years. Questions about future plans come up inevitably in conversation with even the faintest acquaintance. Postponing marriage is met with understanding. Yet as soon as the topic gets to us not going to have children, the reaction turns to either pity or confusion. So you, know, you basically say, okay, let's not have children. Let's basically get rid of most of the humans on the planet and go back to the point where the planet can sustain our kind of activity. And they kind of have a point because if you have a child, it's basically 20 times... Uh, more CO2 than you can save by, you know, recycling and cycling to work and that kind of thing. So your CO2 output will go up just by having a child. 
Is that what you said uh, when Zach was born? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, great. No. <laughs> I'm going to have to recycle a lot now. <laughs> the decision to refrain surely stems from being temporarily misguided. Or so I'm told for over a decade by now. Seems unbelievable. I'm obviously not alone with my experiences. So let's think about a bit. And this is all tied up with that kind of social construct of the decision to have children, when you'd like to have children, how many children you think is appropriate. And presumably that varies quite a lot globally, doesn't it? It does vary globally. And of course, it varies with time as well. So, you know, we've had, for instance, the contraception pill in the 1960s kind of came in. So it became much easier to choose. A couple of hundred years ago, people weren't really choosing whether or not to have children. It just happened. Um, that said, you know, mortality rates have gone down. So um, and people are obviously, you know, thinking about career decisions. So people are having children later. And that's pretty disastrous from male and female point of view. Your sperm count drops quite radically after about 30 five if you're a if, it? if you're if you're thinking about that kind of thing rick and um 35 is it yeah yeah they used to say 40 but now they're sort of saying well, it's okay actually, for my stage age <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure that's what counts <laughs> so what are the kind of factors then that people are taking into account when thinking about when they're going to have children how many children they're going to have well, they're thinking about things like the cost of childcare. So if you want to yeah. keep working, in the UK, the cost of childcare has gone up 63% since 2003. That's the statistics I've seen. So that's apparently a 27% of the average salary has just gone on things like that. Mm. And maybe people have also learned that they've done studies that show that having children doesn't actually make you any happier. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's this great thing that shows that uh, in the months or the sort of year leading up to birth, you know, that kind of sense of hope and anticipation, your general sense of happiness goes right up. And then immediately after birth, it drops Drummits. away. <laughs> oh, great <laughs> It drops stuff. back to baseline, basically. And so it's not that it makes you unhappy, it just doesn't make you any happier. So um, that's probably not helping when you want to replenish the planet. Presumably, uh, compared to... Back in the day, now more women are working as well. Yeah. So we know there's a biological issue, a biological issue with men, I should say. Uh, we don't know much about female fertility because it's really hard to make an objective measurement of it. And then we've got all these cultural factors that everything is, is changing in our culture. But it's hard to ascertain whether that problem is coming from cultural or biological factors or both. It is hard to know. But, you know, we can't fix male sperm issues anyway. So we just have to do something about the, the general situation and make sure that we're not going to go extinct. Men have menstrual symptoms and female infertility. Declining male fertility rates due to excess chemical exposure research shows Fox News. So the decline that we're seeing in sperm count, which is a pretty steady decline over the past 40 years, is not something that could start afresh each generation. If there were immediate causes that lowered sperm count in a particular generation, you would think then that the next generation would start afresh with the, you know, the old uh, numbers. What we're going to say is clearly uh, a message that is about their Taking doses commonly used by athletes to alleviate pain could cause infertility in young men. But in fact, we have evidence that at least chemicals in the environment have the ability to make 
changes that are heritable, that can be passed from one generation to the other. Then this has been shown in very well in rodent studies, that when you affect the sperm count through the mother's exposure, that the third generation will have a further reduced sperm count. So those are effects that can be passed on transgenerationally. You have that coupled with the fact that having very few children in any one family, themselves having problems conceiving, that can lead to a cumulative decline and produce the kind of trend that we're seeing. Fisher's terrorist leader Julian Taylor was killed today in a gun battle with police near Canterbury. Four other terrorists escaped after murdering two officers. We have to assume it's just a matter of time before they identify the rest of us. This baby is the flag that could unite us all. Never use this baby for political purposes. My baby's not a flag. Make it public! So we're going to have a situation where this effect is being amplified across generations, potentially, aren't we? So Because we've got mothers who themselves could be in environments that will cause heritable drops in the sperm counts of their offspring. Mm-hmm then you have to add that to the less than 2.1 children per family. So there's more likelihood that those hoping to procreate will have problems with sperm count. Yeah. And then you end up with children of men. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, good, good. This is a very serious problem, and it is one that I think we can turn around. But... um, That's difficult because a pregnant woman, for example, does not know what's affecting the development of her unborn child. And we know that certain chemicals, for example, plasticizers, which are things like phthalates that make plastic soft and flexible or bisphenol A, which makes plastic hard, like in baby bottles, those chemicals we know can affect the hormone system of the unborn child and most sensitively, the male. So we know that the male's reproductive system is altered when the mother is exposed to higher levels of such chemicals. And they come in our food, they come in our furniture, in our wall coverings, in our floor coverings, they're in our daily lives all the time. And so that's what we do in our studies, we do that, we measure these things, and we measure the reproductive development through measuring the genitals of the newborn boys and we see an association and these changes go on to be associated with the man's sperm count when he grows up so there's a direct link if we could control those exposures to the mother we would probably have an important effect on the man's sperm count when he matures You know, if you were to follow a busy doctor as he makes his daily round of calls, you'd find yourself having a mighty busy time keeping up with him. Time out for many men of medicine usually means just long enough to enjoy a cigarette. And because they know what a pleasure it is to smoke a mild, good-tasting cigarette, they're particular about the brand they choose. Other things that we could do is smoke less. (laughs) Smoking is an important factor for sperm count, both the mother smoking and the man's own smoking. Stress is very difficult to control. I'm not sure how we would do that. 
Body size, certainly. Exercise, being a couch potato lowers your sperm count. Diet changes your sperm count. So there's many things we can do, but it's going to take a very big effort. And I think we need to do that right now. Right, well, there we go then. We need to stop smoking, start running, eat salads. Just, I mean, basically... Not health, we. Healthy lifestyle. No, you're Not fine. We. You're fine. You. <laughs> yeah, because your cholesterol is in great <laughs> nick, right? That's all right. I'm going to get a new heart from a pig. <laughs> but it's essentially healthy lifestyle. Don't drink anything out of plastic. Yeah. Or yeah. eat anything out of plastic. Yeah, and, and watch out for the chemicals around you. I mean, so there was a study done on mice that showed if you sort of put chemicals that you use for fracking, at the kind of concentrations you expect them to appear in wastewater, mm-hmm. uh, they actually had uh, swollen testicles with a lower sperm count. So it's every little thing, basically, is going to affect your chances. I mean, that also disappointing from the mouse's point of view, because you're looking down <laughs> thinking, look at these bad boys. <laughs> but nothing in them. I thought you'd like that. Yeah, I do like it. What about um, just sort of thinking, okay, <laughs> let's give up. Let's just make them in a lab. Can we make babies in a lab? We can't do it very well. So IVF has a very low success rate if we're going to go that route. And then, you know, the idea of like artificial wombs. Yes. Yeah, we'd like that, but that's incredibly difficult to do. And there's something about the uterine environment, certainly at the very early stages of embryonic development, where we just don't even know how to start mimicking the chemical Mm. sort of mix that's out there and how to get a, a healthy embryo developing. So don't hang on for that. Has anyone been doing that with, I mean, I'm sort of thinking mice. Has anyone tried to breed a, a mouse in an artificial of the womb? womb. Yeah. People have tried it. There's been no success, really. Nothing. Not Not from not from scratch. Hmm. Well, I'm going to go and get myself tested, and I'm going to start leading an incredibly healthy lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that'll cover me off. So maybe you should do the healthy lifestyle bit and then get tested? Why? Well, because then you're going to look better, aren't you? I don't mind about how I look. I mind about whether I'm going to be have kids or not. I want to know whether there's an issue. Also, if there isn't an issue, I don't need to have a healthy lifestyle. Am I right? <laughs> oh, you are, you're so on this. Yes, exactly. Keep her close, Key. Whatever happens, whatever they say, you keep her close. It's going to be okay. So reviewing the the question, could humans become infertile? The answer appears to be a resounding yes. It's a huge yes, isn't it? It's Hmm. really quite depressing. I don't feel like people are aware of this either. No, no, I think everybody needs to be told. We need to to start procreating more, don't we? Mm. That's exactly what we need. We need to get more listeners to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I think. Science Ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producer was Max Sanderson, with sound design by Ivor Slayer Manley. Special thanks to Professor Shanna Swan and also to Carl McCauley for assisting with the production of this episode. Brooksy, you did the last bit. All right. If you like this show, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We want that number one spot back. <laughs> Uh, Okay.
Nej, hon säger. Fuck it. I think man. I might have been channeling a Miliband. I might toughen us. 